Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The most tender word that we have in the Bible to not fear by Jehovah Jesus himself is when he said in Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So now Jacob, no more, he's no more in this mode of no longer he's dividing this family into two separate, two greatly separated groups with the idea that only one's going to be slaughtered. And by the way, he did do that in chapter 32. Can you imagine everyone who had to carry out the boss Jacob's first plan of separating all those animals into those droves and memorizing those lines. And that's a lot of work. There was a lot of animals in the separate wall. And now it's all been abandoned. And how their conversation must have been something like, how come? How come we had to put all those droves together to go with Jacob behind him? And now it's all been abandoned. And, uh, you know, we separated all those animals. Now that all the animals are back together again and Jacob's in front. That was a lot of time and work that was wasted following the first plan. Why did Jacob change his plans? And his response would be, oh, well, Jacob met God. And then Jacob changed it. And then the people would say, well, I wish Jacob would have met God first before he had us do all this wasted work. <laughs> you know? And how many people wish that we had met God before we spring into action, you know? But that's all part of the past. That's part of the past now. He's no longer afraid. There's a confidence in Jacob. He lifts up his eyes. He's fought the battle. He's won the battle already with God. And now Esau's not an issue with him. He's changed from fear to confidence and so this is a lesson here for us because you say, what's the remedy for fear in anyone's life? What's the fear and remedy for fear in my life? What's the remedy for fear in your life? It's a prescription. It's a prescription. A prescription of what? A healthy dose of Genesis 32, Jacob meeting with God, taken twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. You know, a healthy dose of Peniel, seeing the face of God, the face of the Lord Jesus, twice a day reading the scriptures morning and evening, and there'll be a recovery from the fear. Now, we pull back. We pull back and we look at Jacob in verse three. We see him in this position. He's passing over before them. And then we look at Jacob, we say, bravo, Jacob, you're taking your role as the head of your family. You're taking your role as their protector. You're taking their role as their representative. You're not running away from your responsibility. Now, he comes to Esau And we see he does something very significant in verse 3. And he bows himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He bows, not once, but seven times. He does this to emphasize that he has repented over what he did to Esau and taking advantage of his hunger to get him to sell the birthright of the deception of impersonating him to get his father to give him the blessing. He bows seven times. 
Now our focus changes to Esau, and we get to see this great reunion in verse 4, where we read, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So what's this? This is Esau who's just overcome. He's overwhelmed with emotion. And he forgets his anger and his threats and his purposes to kill his brother. And there's just an amazing sight to see Esau running, not with a sword in his hand, but with arms wide open. You know, you look at Esau and you say, boy, you know, last time we saw Esau, he was sitting there comforting himself, purposing to kill his brother. And now he's running and we can say, he's free. Esau is free. He's got a freedom. He's free from his anger. He's free from his murderous spirit. See, both Jacob and Esau were in a prison. They were in a prison because of the break in their relationship. Esau's soul was in the prison of anger, and Jacob's soul was in the prison of fear. So Jacob now is coming around to the head of his family. He shows God has released my soul from the prison of fear. That's what Jacob's showing. And Esau, running to meet Jacob, he shows that God has released me from the prison of anger. See, what we're really seeing here in Jacob and Esau is, a, is Jehovah Jesus has worked, and he has worked to free them both, because that's what Jehovah Jesus does. He releases souls from prison, from soul prison. David talked about this in Psalm 142.7, where he said, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. There are many soul prisons, but the two prisons that people most commonly fall into are the prison of anger and the prison of fear and despair, or fearful despair. And so when any person is in the prison of anger or the prison of fearful despair, then they don't see God and they don't praise God. That's why David prayed in Psalm 142, verse 7, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. See, only God can deliver the soul from these two prisons of anger and this fearful despair. And he does that. That's his job. That's what he does. He says in Isaiah 42, 7, he's talking about himself. He says, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And then when the book was given to the Lord Jesus and he was in the synagogue, he opened it to Isaiah 61, 1, where he said about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings of the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Soul prison. Now, Esau is the first to speak. And he speaks very loudly, but he doesn't speak with words. It's without words. And what did Esau do when he ran to Jacob? He embraced him, and he, and he kissed him, and he, he fell on his neck. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. See, these are three distinct actions. He embraced Jacob, wide open embrace, spoke much louder than words. It was a speaking of, I'm holding nothing back. 
No hand in your chest, Jacob, as you approach me, but wide open arms to embrace you. That's the first thing he did. Second thing he did, he fell in his neck. This is pointed out. This is pointed out in Scripture. People falling on neck. They fell on his neck. Fell on his neck. You know, the, the neck is just a symbol. It's a place of tenderness. It's also a place, spoken of in Scripture, of yielding or hardening, of yielding or rebelling. And God called that out in Second um, Kings 17, 14. It says, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but they hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. In Nehemiah 9, 16, he said, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. Nehemiah went on further in the next verse and says, they refused to obey in Nehemiah 9, 17. They refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks. In Jeremiah 9, 15, God says, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. So the neck is a place, tenderness or hardness, yielding or rebelling. He fell on his neck. Then it says he kissed him. Kissed him. Now, these three things that Esau did, the embrace, the falling on the neck, the kissing him, those spoke louder than any words that Jacob could hear. And the message that Esau sent by this was that it's all been forgiven, Jacob. I love you, Jacob. I mean, Esau had reason to hate Jacob. He did. And he had reason to want to hurt Jacob, but he says no. And the weeping was such a loud message that without words, it said, there's reconciliation. You know, it's interesting. There's no talking until the weeping happens. There's no talking. No words are exchanged until the weeping. The crying was the message that there was complete reconciliation. And then the next verse says, then they talked. But until there was the crying, until there was the weeping, there was no talking. The weeping was an important signal that all was forgiven. There was no hard feelings. There was no anger. There was no thoughts of revenge. No more talk about, about getting even. But love had been restored. That weeping's an important signal. The weeping's an important signal in the restoration of the relationship that had been broken for 20 years. Weeping was also the important signal, before talking, in the restoration of the relationship that was broken between Joseph and his brothers who sold him as a slave into Egypt. See, it was when Joseph wept that his brothers had the important signal that Joseph wasn't harboring any more hard feelings. He didn't have any anger. He had no thoughts of revenge toward his brothers for what they did to him. And we see that in Genesis 45, 1. Through four, where it says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made known himself unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? He asked the question. And his brethren could not answer him. They don't answer him. And they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. 
And then it says in Genesis 45, verse 14, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after this, his brethren talked with him. Do you notice that? What happened? Right after Joseph identifies himself to his brother, he says, I'm Joseph. In Genesis 45, 3, Joseph said unto his brother, I'm Joseph. Does my father yet live? His brethren could not answer him. They were troubled at his presence. He asked his brothers, is my father alive? His brothers can't speak. Well, why couldn't they answer him? They couldn't talk because they were wondering, what's this mean for us? You know, does Joseph still harbor hard feelings? Is he still angry? Is he still remembering all that selling into Egypt and slavery and wanting to kill him and so forth? He wants to take revenge? But the signal that told them it was all forgiven was in verse 15 of Genesis 45 when it says, moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept over upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. When he wept on them and he kissed them, then they talked. Yeah? Same just like with Esau and Jacob. And we're talking about how weeping is a signal of a forgiveness, of repentance, and it opens the door for reconciliation of talking uh, between Jacob and Esau, between Joseph and his brothers. But the greatest signal, the greatest weeping as a signal of repentance and reconciliation that opens this door to talking again is between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish people. That's the greatest one. And that's recorded for us in four verses in the book of Zechariah, which is really the verses that deal with the reconciliation between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people. And the indicator that the reconciliation was complete is the weeping. Then they talk. See, first, there's all the nations that are going to come across the Jewish people, come against them in Israel in Jerusalem in particular, and then Jehovah Jesus, who, who they don't know him as Jehovah Jesus, but he goes and fights for them in Zechariah 14.3. Zechariah 14.3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Then, at that point, Jewish people, they admire him. They're admiring Jehovah Jesus. They don't know he's Jehovah Jesus. They're admiring the one who saved them. From all the nations that came against them, all the nuclear arsenals and so forth, but there seems to be one Jewish person who sort of notices nail wounds in his hand. And he asks them, you know, how'd you get those? And the answer, he comes, and that's the second verse in Zechariah 13, 6. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? And then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Then there's a weeping that just like with Esau and Jacob comes before there's any more communication between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people. There's this weeping that takes place and that's given in Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They're gonna take responsibility. They have pierced. They're not gonna say the Romans did it whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, there's the weeping, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. And then after the weeping, there's this talking between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people in Zechariah 13.9. Zechariah 13.9, I will bring the third part through the fire, and will we find them as silver as we find, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, 
it's my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. See, just like Esau and Jacob, after the weeping, there's talking between Jehovah Jesus and the Jewish people, where the Jewish people say to Jehovah Jesus, you're our God, the Lord is my God. And they say, Jehovah Jesus is my God. And then Jehovah Jesus says to the Jewish people, that's my people, finally. It's my people. Well, he doesn't say finally, that's what I said. But anyway, so the importance of the end of verse four in Genesis 33 is very important where it says, and they wept. There was just this overflowing of affection between Esau and Jacob. The overflowing affection had resulted in them both weeping. You know, weeping is kind of an interesting phenomenon or whatever you want to call it, event, because um, it's this overflowing of emotions, and really it's a literal physical overflowing. I mean, it's interesting how crying happens, you know, because tears, they come into the eyes continuously. There's a gland up here called the lacrimal glands, and that's where the tears enter and flow across the eye. My glasses have scratches in it because I was down at the beach and I scratched my, you know, you shouldn't do that. Anyway, that's what happens with the surface of our eyes. They get all scratched up, but um, I got to get a new pair of glasses, you know, because I scratched them down at the beach. But we don't have to get new eyes all the time. <laughs> so what God does is he, when the tears go over it continuously, it fills in all the scratches, and that's how we see clearly. So this gland does that up there. And then right down here by our nose, there's the lacrimal canal. And so it's constantly sucking off the small amount of tear that the glands are constantly lubricating our eyes with and empties down in the nose. So what happens when you cry is that the lacrimal glands up here, they produce more tears than the lacrimal canal can handle. So there's the overflowing. There's the overflowing. And that's why weeping is a nice term. So Jacob and Esau both had this overflow of emotions that resulted in them both crying. But it's precious. It's just precious for us to see, I mean, Esau and Jacob weep together. This is a great sight. Because what we're really seeing here, here's the, I mean, who are these guys? These are two old gray-headed men, right? They're twins again. They're little boys. They're twins again. And in their tears, they're twins again. And from this point, they remained friends for the rest of their lives. Jacob and Esau were twins, and a part, you know, a part of the Arab people are from Esau? A part of the Arab people are from Esau. So the reality is that the Jewish people and the Arab people, they're related. Of course, and through Esau, they're, through, they're, they're really related through Abraham and through Isaac. And so what we're really witnessing here is a prophecy of the real roadmap to peace in the Middle East. This reunion between Jacob and Esau is symbolic of when the Jewish people and the Arab people will one day be reconciled and they'll be friends again. And that's predicted for us in Isaiah 19, Isaiah 19.22, where it says, and the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even to the Lord, talking about Egyptians, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. And that day there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. And that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, 
and Israel mine inheritance. So what we're going to see here is a reconciliation. What we see here is a reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, but it's really a prophecy of the reconciliation between the Jewish people when they're reconciled with the Arab people. And they're going to share as co-equals in the blessing of God. That's a great thing. Now, when you look at verse 4, what does it say about how, again, how did Esau come to Jacob? How did he come? And he... He ran, he ran, <laughs> he ran, he ran, he ran, okay, he ran, okay? That's why the country's called Iran, because they don't know. <laughs> but the word ran is very significant. He ran with all his might to Jacob. I mean, the word ran is very important. It shows us what we need to do. When there's a break in a relationship, it's time for a Genesis 33, verse 4 experience, running like Esau did. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, they wept. But see, Esau, it's very important he ran. He didn't just sit there and say, well, look who's coming. (laughs) Is it my old scheming, conniving, grabbing, stealing, cheating little kid brother no good? I should have killed him when I had the chance. Well, I think I'm just going to sit here and let him come a-begging. He's got a lot of apologizing to do before I get up (laughs) and go to meet him. You know, he used to get a little run. No, he didn't do that. He, no, he, it, that's why the word ran in verse 4 is so important because it shows how Esau yearned to be reconciled with Jacob. He missed Jacob. He wanted him back again as his brother. He's the only brother who's God. You know, I mean, you've got to admire Esau. You've got to admire Esau here when it says Esau ran to meet him. And when Jacob saw Esau run, that spoke volumes to Jacob. When Jacob saw Esau run to him, that just melted Jacob. And in verse 4, where it says, Esau ran to meet him, isn't it kind of funny how it only talks about Esau running to meet Jacob? I mean, why didn't Jacob run to meet Esau? Wouldn't you expect that both would run? Why, why wasn't only Esau's running? Okay, his bowing seven times. Another reason? You ever seen Chester run in Gunsmoke? <laughs> why doesn't Chester ever run? <laughs> He's lame. <laughs> He's got a limp. <laughs> you can't run when you got a limp, you know. Chester doesn't run. All right. So, but that truth of Esau running and Jacob not able to run because he's lame. He's got his lip out of joint. The lip out of joint. He's got his hip out of joint. It points out something very important to us because because we stand back and we look at the sight. And we say, boy, look at that. Here was Esau. He looked so mighty with his 400 men. He looked so strong. He's running, you know, the same age. And here's Jacob. He looks so weak. He's got women and children. He looks so frail. He's limping along. And you ask yourself the question, wow, which one has the power of God? (laughs) The weak one, (laughs) the frail one. That's the one that God made to have the power. Jacob, weak, frail in himself, strong in God. And how is Christians described? How are we is described? Paul describes us in 1 Corinthians 4.11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, are naked, buffeted. We have no certain dwelling place. We labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 